In John 6.27 it says we are not to labor for food that perishes, but for food that lasts for eternal life, which Jesus will give us. According to Jesus, all things are not equal. Uh, Some things are worth more than others. Not everything we can do in our daily lives has eternal value, and so we must prioritize our lives around that which has eternal significance. Jesus goes on in John 6 and tells us that the, the flesh profits nothing, but the Spirit gives life. He then says His words and His Spirit, His words are spirit and they are life. Jesus' words are powerful, they are profitable. And there is a connection between laboring for what endures and the fact that His words are life. In fact, John 6.68, Peter responds to a question Jesus asks by saying, Jesus had the words of eternal life. Now there are two takeaways I get from this. First, whatever else it may mean for us to prioritize our lives around what is eternally significant, God's Word must be a huge part of it. Time spent in God's Word is always eternally significant. This is true whether it's time in our personal devotions or whether it's time listening to a sermon. Time spent in God's Word is always eternally significant. Second, God's Word is meant to do something in us. That there is more to the idea of spirit and life than increase our knowledge. The idea is the Spirit of God empowers the Word of God and they lead us to the kind of life Jesus Wants us to have. We can never experience the life Jesus has planned for us, the life Jesus has purchased for us, apart from being students of His Word, by hearing, studying, and embracing the words He says. This is why time spent in God's Word is always eternally significant. Now we may wonder what kind of changes should it make? What does it do for us as we hear it, read it, and embrace it? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Open your Bible to Isaiah 55. We're going to look at verses 10 and 11. Should be on page 560. Uh, If you have a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without without watering the earth and making making it produce and and spout, providing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. The title of the message tonight is God's Effectual Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. We are thankful, Lord, that your mercy is more. Father, our sins, they are many, but your mercy is more. How good uh, is that truth, Father? Let us take that to heart. The times when we struggle and the times when we fail. To learn what, what your word means when it says that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Thank you, Father, for the grace and the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guide us tonight as we study your word. Let Holy Spirit come and open our minds that we would understand what you want us to understand from this passage. Let Holy Spirit come and Prepare our hearts and make our hearts good ground. That the good seed would sink deep in and bring forth good fruit through your glory. Fill me tonight with the Holy Spirit and give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said or to what you want done. Have your way. Let your word accomplish your will in our lives tonight. We ask in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now God says that 
His word is effectual to accomplish what he wants it to accomplish. He says it's like the rain that and the snow that come down that he sends to the earth. They they come to the earth, they water the earth, and they enable the earth to produce what is necessary for spiritual life or a physical life. Similarly, God's word goes out and it produces what is necessary for eternal life. But look again at verse 11. Notice it says, so will my word be which goes out of my mouth. Now, the idea that it's God's word is the key to this promise. My words are not effective. Your words are not effective. My opinions are not effective. Your opinions are not effective. My ideas are not effective. Your ideas are not effective. God's word and only God's word is guaranteed to be effective at doing what God wants it to do. This is why it's important when somebody asks us a question, we give them biblical answers. Now, we don't want to give them answers that we learned when we were young that may be some sort of tradition. We don't want to give them a common cultural answer. We want to be able to say to them, this is what the Word of God says. As we try to disciple people, as we try to evangelize people, God's Word must be the authority and the priority in what we do. It will not make a difference to our opinions, our ideas, or our politics. Only God's Word makes the difference that needs to be made in people's lives. But look again at verse 11. It said, So will my Word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing something. Says it will not return empty. The Amplified Bible adds to the word empty by saying without producing any effect or useless. It's a powerful and a hope filled promise that we find in this word. God's word always works and it always does something. God's word has a supernatural power to it, guaranteeing it always does something in the heart and the life of the person who hears it or reads it. There are two keys to understanding how this works. First is, again, at verse 11, without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. God's word accomplishes God's will. God's word does what God wants it to do. This is an admonition for us as we seek to study and share God's word. We must be sure as we're sharing God's word, as we're studying God's word, we want to know what God's word says. What is his desire? What is his reason for giving this? Not our reason for needing it or our, for our reason for wanting it. At the same time as we share it, we must be sure what we're trying to accomplish is what God wants to accomplish. His will prevails, not mine and not yours. And the second key isn't explicit in this passage, but it is implicit and it's seen all throughout the rest of God's word. What God's word produces in us depends on how we respond. God's word is powerful, so powerful. In fact, it brings us to a point of a decision every single time we read it, every single time we hear it. God's word brings us to the place where we must decide. And in that moment, what we decide will determine what it does in our lives. Now, I mentioned this last week, but a lot of people in our day believe a a lie. And the lie they believe is what I call the myth of neutrality. And the myth of neutrality states that we can be neutral about Jesus. We can be neutral about the gospel. 
We can be neutral about the appeal of the gospel to repent and believe. We can be neutral about what God's word says and the demands it places on our lives. Now, those who believe this myth of neutrality would not consider themselves to be hostile toward Christianity. In fact, many of them might even say they are Christians. They are believers. And they would certainly not say they have rejected God's word or rejected Jesus or rejected the gospel. Instead, they have just decided not to decide on that particular thing. They have chosen not to choose on that particular issue. In their minds, this is acceptable. The reality is there is no way to be neutral toward Jesus. There is no way to be neutral toward his word. And there is no way to be neutral toward his gospel. Now, this is what Jesus says. The one who is not with me is against me. And the one who doesn't scatter or gather with me scatters. Clearly, Jesus leaves no room for neutrality where he, his word or his gospel are concerned. There is no way not to respond to Jesus, to the gospel or to the word. Everyone responds to God's word every single time they hear it. Every time. The great Baptist pastor, Charles Spurgeon, said, The same sun which melts wax hardens clay. And the same gospel which melts some persons to repentance hardens others in their sins. Well, what makes the difference? And whether the word softens people to repentance or hardens them in their sins. The difference is in how they respond to it. This brings us to our central truth for tonight. What God's word does in us depends on whether we reject it or receive it. Now, rejecting it and receiving it are built far more on what we do than on what we say. It is entirely possible for us to affirm all of God's word as being the inspired, infallible word of God, but still end up rejecting it because we don't take it and we don't put it into practice. We reject what we won't obey. Now, last week we saw several ways rejecting God's word harms us spiritually. Stark warnings. I hope we took those seriously. But tonight we're going to look at the ways, at four ways God's word helps us spiritually when we receive it. Number one is God's word gives us hope. We all need hope and we all want hope. But hope isn't just something we can conjure up at will. So where do we get hope? Where does hope come from? Well, whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So that through perseverance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. Now, hope as it's used in God's word isn't some sort of wishful thinking, something we would like to happen. Instead, hope is a well-grounded, well-founded assurance. And even an expectation that God will do What he has said he will do. Hope is based completely on God. Our hope is based upon our confidence. God is who he says he is. And God can and will do what he says he can and will do. And here's where God's word comes in. Everything we know about who God is and what God is like. We know from God's word. God's word is the only authoritative inspired revelation of God by God. For the people of God. 
So if we want hope based upon the character and the nature of God, we must get in the book that reveals God to us. Now, God's word gives us hope in several different ways. First, God's word gives us hope because it points us to Jesus. Jesus is is central to all of God's plans and promises. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20 assures us Jesus is the yes and the amen to all of God's promises. So our, our basis for claiming God's promises, it's not us. It's not our character. It's not our nature. It's, it's Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross. So as with the father, we must know the savior. The Son who has died, who has purchased these promises for us. And again, the only inspired, authoritative revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus like is God's Word. God's Word always points us to Jesus. The Apostle Paul told Timothy that from a child he had known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Jesus. Jesus said you examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is those very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you're unwilling to come to me that you may have life. Now those are important because in both cases, the scripture it's referring to is the Old Testament. Right? Timothy was raised as a young man, taught the Old Testament by his Jewish mother. And the Old Testament made him wise. To recognize Jesus as the Messiah. When Jesus tells the religious leaders, you search the scriptures, there is no New Testament. There is nothing but the law. There is nothing but the prophets. There's nothing but the writings. And he's saying you search them because you think they give you eternal life, but they testify of me. But they would not follow God's word as it urged them to go to Jesus. God's word gives us hope by Pointing us to Jesus and urging us to go to Jesus. God's word gives us hope by reminding us failure isn't fatal. We all fail in various ways. In our service, in our devotion, in our relationship with Jesus. What happens when we fail? How do we respond to failure? Well, if you're anything like me, then you often are tempted to lose hope. God's word helps here. God's word says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous that he will forgive us for our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's word tells us, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only for the sins of the whole world. Satan would love us to lose hope over our failures. But God's word continually assures us his mercy is more. That though our sins are many, his mercy is more. If we confess them, he's faithful, he'll forgive us. And and I, I do love 1 John 2. It is such a great passage. Right? You can see this idea doesn't minimize sin because these things are written so that we won't sin. But if we do... Jesus is our advocate. I love that because often the idea we have is Jesus is our advocate when we do what's right. 
that as long as we're walking the straight and narrow, we don't deviate to the left or the right. Jesus is cheering us on. He's encouraging us. He's for us and not against us. But but we have in our mind an idea that when we blow it, when we deviate, when we stray, Jesus is suddenly now against us. He's calling down lightning strikes and hell and damnation upon us. But it's not the case. He is our advocate, our defense attorney in that moment when we sin. And in that moment as He pleads our case, what He's pleading is not how good we are, but how good He is. He is the propitiation. He is the one who has died for our sins. What He pleads in that moment is, I died for those sins too. My blood covers those sins as well. Don't let the enemy convince you that Jesus is for you when you're good and against you when you're bad. My friend, if you have repented of your sins and believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is your advocate at all times. And when you blow it, His pleading on your behalf is His blood, His sacrifice, His death that covers your sins. God's Word gives us hope despite our failures by reminding us failure is not fatal. God's Word teaches us there's more. Part of what I love most about following Jesus is there's always more. There's more to know. There's more to do. There's more to be. There's just always more. But how do we know the more? So my beloved bread, or so my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to desire and to do work for his good pleasure. God works through his word to show us there's more. He then gives us a desire to do the more that he's shown us. And then he gives us the ability to do the more. That he's shown us. So now I am very thankful for everything the Lord Jesus Christ has done in me and through me and for me in my life. But I am also excited about what he has promised to continue to do in me and through me and for me in the future. I am certain he is going to do something new because there is always more. And God's Word gives us hope by teaching us there is always more. God's Word not only gives us hope, but God's Word sanctifies us. A sanctification is the process of becoming more like Jesus. Jesus oversees and actively works for our sanctification. He works to change our hearts, minds, our wills, and our very nature. And the purpose of it all is to make us like Him. And the word is central to that. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. This is his prayer in John 17. Three parts are used in our sanctification. There is Holy Spirit, God's word, and our decision of faith. And the way it happens is we are, are reading the word or we're listening to the word being preached and taught on. Holy Spirit, then he'll take a part of that and he'll begin to reveal something to us. Here's something that you're not doing, but you ought to be doing it. Here's something you are doing, but you ought not be doing it. And he begins to press on us from God's word about something in our lives that's, that needs to be different. And in that moment, we have a decision to make. We can either decide to 
do what Jesus is teaching us to do, or we can reject what Jesus is teaching us to do. And when in faith we respond by doing what Jesus is leading us to do, we progress in sanctification. We become more like Jesus. Now this is not a one-time event, but a continual process. The, pro- the, the process of sanctification begins the, the day we initially repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it carries all the way through this life until the day we take our last breath or until the Lord Jesus Christ returns to take us home to be with Him. Quite a few changes have to be made before we will be like Jesus. So it's always going on. And we become a little more like Jesus every time we respond to God's Word by receiving it and putting it into practice. God's Word also defends us against deception. Now, if you were here last week, you may remember that there are two kinds of deception we can experience. There is self-deception and demonic deception. Self-deception comes when we hear God's Word but don't put it into practice, James 1 and 22. Self-deception is when we make up excuses as to why a particular portion of God's Word doesn't apply to us. Why we don't have to do whatever it is God's Word says, or why we, why we don't have to do whatever God's Word says, or why we can continue to do what God's Word says we can't do. Basically, self-deception is when we find reasons why we only do what we want to do as it pertains to God's Word. We don't call them excuses. We call them reasons so that we can convince other people. But what it really is, according to James, is, according to God's word, is self-deception. Demonic deception comes when we reject God's truth in favor of something else. Now, since we're going to believe something about everything, when we reject God's truth, we open ourselves up to the enemy who is the father of lies and who deceives the whole world. Every false religion... Every Christless spirituality, every reason people have for why they don't need Jesus is a demonic deception. Now, when we think about demonic deception, we often think about the really wackadoo cults. But the most common warnings given in God's word about demonic deception refer to church people being drawn away from the faith. The warnings are always to believers, disciples, the church. The reality is there's no way to know what all the wackadoo cults believe. There are too many. They spring up all the time. If we were to set our hearts to studying every one of them to know what they believe and why they're wrong, we would never get an end. And more likely than not, we would be drawn away. The best way. To guard against being deceived is not to study what everybody else believes that's wrong. It is to study the truth. To know the truth. And the truth will set us free. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you're truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus had earlier prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. When he says God's word is truth, he's not saying God's word is true because it conforms to a higher ideal of truth. What he's saying is God's word is truth. God's word is the highest standard of truth 
there is. Nothing contradicting God's word can be considered truth. This is true on any subject God's word teaches or touches, whether it be creation or history or salvation or miracles or sexuality or marriage or relationship or generosity or holiness or sin or victory over sin or or anything. In all of those subjects and more, there is what God's word teaches and what someone else says. And in all of our lives, there's going to be a moment when we know what God's word has said, but what someone else teaches maybe appeals to us in one way or another. Could be many reasons why. But in that moment, we have a choice. To receive God's word and live in freedom. To reject God's word and embrace a lie. And open ourselves up to deception and bondage. And this happens all the time. Our culture, our culture is not neutral about anything God's word teaches. Our culture has taken a particular stance in opposition to all things. Related to Jesus, to salvation, to God's word. And so we're going to always have to choose what God has said, what culture says. One leads to life and freedom. One leads to deception and bondage. But we will make that choice. Freedom only comes as we abide in the truth. Abiding in the truth is choosing God's word over Everything else. God's word defends us against deception as we choose to live in it. And then finally, God's word blesses us. So it gives us hope, sanctifies us, defends us against deceptions. And then it blesses us. Now, chances are we all want to be blessed by God. We want God's blessings on every aspect of our lives. We want God's blessings on our finances, on our health, our children, our grandchildren, our marriages, our church, our relationships. We we want God's blessings on on everything. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a very valid desire. We also want to be blessed through our relationship with Jesus. We want to be blessed in our time in prayer. We want to be blessed in our study of God's word. We want to be blessed in our actions of devotion to Jesus. If you're like me, you pray for God to bless you in all of these areas. But what if I could give you one's path, one one easy step. And if you do this easy step, I promise you, you will always be blessed by God. Now, I could write a book on that. And so long as nobody could see what was inside. I could make a billion dollars. Because everybody wants that easy path, that direct way, that guarantee. And there is one. To one who has looked intently at the perfect law, the law of freedom, and has continued in it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an active doer, this person will be blessed in what he does. This is the promise. This is the path to experiencing God's blessings in all of our lives. Do do we want to be blessed 
in our finances? What does God say about how we should use our finances? Do that, be blessed. What does God say about our health? Do that and be blessed. What does God say about how to raise our children and how to disciple them and discipline them? Do that and be blessed. What does God say about our marriages and how to have a marriage and the kind of marriages we ought to have? Do that and be blessed. What does God say about church and what the church should do and what the church should be and how the church should act in the community? Do that and be blessed. What about our relationship with Jesus? What, what does God's word tell us about how to have one and go deep in one and to stay close to Jesus? Do that and be blessed. What does God's word tell us about how to pray and when to pray and what to pray for? Do that and be blessed. What does God's word tell us about our studying of God's word? Knowing it. Do that and be blessed. What does God's word say about our our actions of devotion to Jesus? How should we do them? What are actions of devotions to Jesus? Which one should we do? When? For whom? Do that and be blessed. That's the way. In many ways, it's, it's, it's futile to pray to be blessed if we're not willing to do what God has said to do to be blessed. We have to go in the way God wants us to go. And notice this isn't a, I love everything about this verse. Notice it says first to to look intently. Now that's not a casual glance, is it? That's not, you read a U version devotion and there's one verse after it and you go on. That's not that. Looking intently, that's that's similar to what the Apostle Paul would say about, about study. Be diligent to show yourself approved. A worker who can rightly divide the word of truth. Look intently. We're not going to know what God's word said about all those issues and all those areas. If we're not looking intently into it. And then it says to continue in it. So we we look into it. So that we can find out what we're supposed to do. And then we, we do it. But not just once, we continue in it. Not just we do it today, but we do it today, tomorrow, and the day after that. Not being a forgetful hearer, but an, but an active doer. So not doing it once, forgetting about it. Not being passive. And just kind of drifting through life and hoping some point I, I hit the right spot. But being active to do what God says to do. And if we are that person. If we look intently at God's word and if we continue to do it and we are not forgetful hearers, but active doers, this person promise we are promised this person will be blessed in what he does. That's the path to guaranteed blessing in our life. When we do what God has said to do in whatever area God has said to do it. We will be blessed in our life. Look, look at verse 12 and 13 of Isaiah 55. He said, for you will go out with joy. You'll be led in peace. The mountains and the hills will break into shouts of joy before you. The trees, the field will clap their hands. Instead, the thorn bush 
The juniper will come up and instead of stinging nettle, the myrtle will come up. It'll be a memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign. It shall not be eliminated. I love how the chapter ends. The chapter opens the invitation from Jesus to come to Him and receive all that He offers. And if we hear that invitation and we seek the Lord while He may be found, we trust that His ways are better than our ways. And we take His Word and we do what He desires from it. Then what we'll experience be joy, peace, and worship. And verse 13 is talking about blessings. Instead of thorn bush, a juniper. Instead of the stinging nettle, a myrtle. Be a memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign which will not be eliminated. This is the path of blessing. God's word blesses us. God blesses us. As we receive his word and do his word. God's word is the key to experiencing everything Jesus has for us. We could look at much more. God's word is given to us to be the foundation we build our lives upon. This is, again, in, in our day, and maybe not for anyone in here. I, 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 don't, I don't think it probably would be. But our day, it's very common to say, I have a living relationship with Jesus. I don't need a book to guide me. My friend, that is an ungodly and a demonic lie. Because Jesus consistently points us to the word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Those who hear the word and do the word are like those who dig down deep and build on a solid foundation. The winds blow, the rains come, the floods come, and it stands. But those who hear it and don't do it, they're like those who, who build on the sand. And the winds come and the rains fall and the, and the floods rise and great is the fall of that house. So we cannot be everything God intends for us to be. We cannot be everything Jesus has saved us to be. Apart from God's word. We need God's word to live the abundant life Jesus came to give us. But God's word will only do this as we put it into practice. I have met many people in my life who have a deep reverence for God's word. They have it in a special place in their house sometimes. It'll be up on display. So everybody that walks in can see they've got a Bible. Maybe they'll have a, a big one like the pulpit Bible back there on their on their family kitchen counter, their living room desk, table so nobody can see it. They'll have they'll just have it somewhere so you can see they have a Bible. And it's God's Word and it's precious and it's important to them. 
But it's never opened. It's never studied. It's never lived. That's really not reverence for God's Word. God's Word, the book itself, is indeed precious. And it ought to be held in reverence. And it ought to be kept in a good place. But having reverence for the object without reverence through action for the words is meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. God's Word is not given to be a decoration. It's not given to be set up so that we can point to people and say, Oh, I love God's Word. It is meant to be a manual for life. To show us the Lord Jesus, the salvation He offers, and how to live as His Spirit-filled and Spirit-led disciples. It must be studied. It must be put into practice. So let me close with some questions. Is there an area of your life you already know needs to be brought into conformity to God's Word? Is there something you know God's Word said you should be doing, but you're not doing? Is there something you know God's Word says you shouldn't be doing, but you are doing it? You have a choice tonight about how you're going to respond into that moment. There's only the two. Receive it, reject it. The blessings or the spiritual harm that befalls. But don't think about this merely in terms of what we must do. I think so often that's what we do. We focus on on the effort we have to put forward or how difficult it may be to make the change or something like that. But what if we started to think about it in these terms? If I do what God's Word says... My hope is going to grow. I'm going to be more like Jesus as I begin to put it into practice. I'd be more difficult for the enemy to deceive me and lead me astray. And God will bless me in what I do. Living God's word out is not always easy. And anyone who tells you it is doesn't really study God's word. But it is always worth it. Because it is always eternally significant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. You're great and awesome. You're wonderful and worthy. Thank thank you, Lord, for your word that guides us. Thank you, Lord, for your word and the promises we have in that. Father, make us to be a people who are diligent workers, putting forth the effort so we can rightly divide your word. Make us a people who are active doers and not forgetful hearers. And Lord, let us experience all of the promises we've talked about tonight and the many others that we didn't have time to talk about. Let us be sure as individuals, our lives are built upon your word because storms are coming or storms are here. That's just the world we live in. But if we're built upon the word, Though they hurt, we will stand. Let us be sure our church is built upon the word. So that when whatever difficulties may hit us as a church, though it may hurt, we'll stand. 
Make us your people fully devoted to doing your will and living according to your word. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.